you found the Diggin' Oak Island podcast, a podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. If you like this show and you want to help support us, please consider becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash island to learn more. Right before we get started, I just want to mention a couple of things. Um, first, to all the Patreons who have stayed with me during the off season here, just remember when the Patreon, when the I'm sorry, when the new season starts, we will be doing a live Patreon um, discussion during the show. Those are always a lot of fun. There's some great comments in there, uh, and that is exclusive to you guys, people who are on the Patreon page. It actually happens on the Patreon page itself. So. Uh, if you are a member, when the show airs, remember to go over there and uh, start hearing some comments from your fellow, from myself and your fellow patrons to the Digging Oak Island podcast. For those who don't know, Patreon is a um, monthly donation site. Uh, it's $5 a month if you want to support the show that way and help uh, help me keep this going for as long as the show goes or until the mystery is solved, then please, please head over there and help us out. And thank you to everyone who's done that already. If you want to make a one-time donation, I do have a way to do that. It is via Venmo. It is for my uh, music musician. I'm a musician by trade site. Uh, Dave McBride Music, if you want to make a one-time donation. And if you don't, if you want to help out the show, but you can't do it financially, totally, that... I told everybody understands that I feel that way a lot of times, um, then the best thing you could do really is to go and leave us a rating and a review five stars on Apple podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your shows. Um, that helps get the word out on the show. More listeners to the show means, uh, you know, better chance for us to, uh, in- increase that support all across the board. Okay, enough of that. On today's podcast, we're going to finish our rewatch of season one of The Curse of Oak Island with episode five, which is the finale of season one. That's right. If you don't remember, season one was only sort of a five episode test run. But before we do that, I do have some emails from you guys I want to catch up with. Um, so, uh, and, and emails I want to catch up with before we kind of turn the page over to season 10. So let's start there today. Uh, this past week, our friend Steve wrote me an email that simply said, November 12th, are you ready, McBride? Are you ready? Steve is, of course, referring to the recently announced debut episode of season 10 of The Curse of Oak Island. I'll keep you posted on our social media as best I can for any preseason sort of Matty Blake stuff I hear about. Um so go give us a like on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Digging Oak Island in your search bar. You'll find us over there. Um, I know that there are new episodes of Beyond Oak Island that have already begun. Um, and there are a couple of these sort of top 10 shows in the end of October here. Uh, one was like the top 10 swamp finds. And I think one is called the top 10 Portuguese connections. So keep an eye out for all that. Now, Let's go to, uh, and anyway, thank you, Steve. I am ready. Let's go to an email from our friend Scott who writes, Dave, I have a degree, but a history degree, but I am far from an expert on anything. I know a little about a lot. I love listening to Laird Niven. I am so surprised he didn't consider blue clay as a draw to ancient groups. Historians confirm that people from regions in modern day southern Mexico and possibly Central America came as far north as Georgia to mine blue clay. That was the first place my mind went when considering why ancients might have come to this tiny nondescript island. 
Blue Clay would not explain why anyone would benefit. Uh, what I'm sorry, would expend the time and effort to build a stone road on a tiny on a tiny island. This still just baffles why me why anyone would do this. Uh, I wish uh, a definitive time frame for the construction of this road could be determined. Then the why might be answered. The heck with my monetary treasure. The fascinating past of this island is the real treasure to a history geek. Thank you so much for your dedication to this fascinating story, Scott in Michigan. And thank you for writing, Scott. Um, I really like everything you say here. I mean, I asked Laird that question about the blue clay because it fascinated me ever since that episode a few seasons ago when I think it was archaeologist Aaron Taylor who kind of made the determination that what they were looking at here in the eye of the swamp was a source of blue clay that had indeed been mined in the past. And Scott, you are also 100% correct with your conclusion that blue clay does not answer all the questions, not by any means. It doesn't explain the money pit nor anything at Smith's Cove. But during any investigation, you gather all the possibilities and then start removing those that have been sort of disproved or that you feel are disproved by your research. Um, And all I'm saying is we have multiple pieces of evidence from the swamp that point to the presence of First Nations people on the island and doing something that requires digging. And like you said, it could also be a draw from for, for First Nations people from other areas, right? Not just from Nova Scotia, not just the Mi'kmaq. Maybe going down that historical avenue and seeing where it leads might at least bring us to the point where we're able to cross some sections of the swamp off the list of being somehow related to treasure, but yet to some other historical mystery, right? That's all I'm really trying to say in that. Now, uh, thank you very much for your uh, email there, Scott. Great stuff. Now, let's go to our friend Tommy over in the UK who wrote us toward the end of last season saying he was listening to all the podcasts, kind of catching up from the beginning. I don't know how you can listen to me that much, but uh, uh, good luck there. Uh, He sent us a follow-up email during the summer. I'm not going to read it all because a lot of it won't make much sense without going back and reading the original email. But he did say something at the end here that I wanted to share with all of you. He wrote, so I'm now up to date and no wiser on what what is or isn't buried on the island, but hope for many more seasons. I see you've just posted a new episode, so I'm off to listen to that, and uh, and know I am safe in the knowledge that any question I will raise will be answered by you and your listeners. Tommy, thank you for that. Um, yes, my listeners have an amazing knack of being able to answer things better than I can, which is uh, what this is all about, right? I mean, that's the whole reason why I'm doing this, is, is to impart my research, my knowledge, um, my passion for the for the dig but also to bring other people in who have even more more of those things than i have right now i'm just a podcaster i'm not a historian i've never been to oak island and um i you know i i've read a lot but there are people who are much more learned on some of these subjects so it is great to have this forum and that's why i do these emails you know because i want to kind of open the forum up for everyone now on that part about um not being, uh, uh, what's the, how, how did you put it? Um, n- no more closer to the answers, <laughs> no wiser on what is or isn't buried on the island. Uh, imagine how Dan Blankenship felt or Frederick Blair, Gilbert Hedden, people like that. These are guys who poured a great deal of their blood, sweat, tears, and money of their life into this search, and they essentially left it no closer to the answers than they were when they started, 
or that any of us are today, right? Um, I think that is the most sobering part of it all, right? Um, the narrator likes to say things like the answers have never been closer or the fellowship is closer to finding the treasure than ever before. But is that really true? I mean, really? We've had 10 years of watching the Laginas and the History Channel pour millions and millions into this search with them saying at the end of every year they're closer than ever before. I mean, they've poured more money into this than probably all the rest of the 200 plus year uh, treasure hunt combined. And are they really any closer? Um, a Spanish coin, a lead cross, strange things in Smith's Cove, a road in the swamp. What questions have those things answered? As they always say, they usually bring up more questions than answers. How much closer are we really to the solution? It's a sobering question, um, but one that I think needs to be answered. All right, that's all for the emails this week. Now we're getting back into the show soon here, so I'd like to get your feedback on the show. Um, any comments, questions you have about what you're seeing during the show, please send them right to me so we can have a discussion amongst all of the listeners and myself during the season here. Send them to diggingoakisland at gmail.com. On today's podcast, we're going to continue our rewatch of season one of The Curse of Oak Island and talk about the finale, episode five, entitled The Find. Now, like I've said the last couple of weeks, um, all of the work we get to see in this episode is done over at the swamp and nowhere else in the island at all. So once again, we're going to take this episode chronologically and follow it along pretty much as it aired rather than discuss each project separately like we usually do for the current episode reviews. Um, okay, so let's get into it. The episode begins exactly where the last one left off, and I mean exactly. The guys had just told Marty about some metal detector hits in the swamp at the location of the Mercy Point. Now, go back to the episode um, three rewatch from a couple of weeks ago if you need to kind of get up to speed on what that all is. Uh, when we left the team, Marty had just finished helping Dave Spencer, one of the two metal detecting experts who are on the island, put together a piece of equipment called the Deep Max X6, which is sort of a deeper ground metal detector. And they're bringing it to the swamp to begin scanning the area of this mercy point. This is that big square thing you see here that's made of what looks like gray PVC piping. You see the guys are holding it, right? Uh, Rick and Marty's nephew, David Frenetti, is helping carry this thing across the swamp, along with his friend, Will Castadon. Now, did we ever see Will again after this episode? I'm not sure we did, but I'm terrible at remembering things like that. <laughs> so if we did, correct me for sure. Uh, while Dave and Will are doing this, Rick is monitoring this little data collector box that's attached to the Deep Max as it moves along. Now, I couldn't help but take note when Marty says that the Deep Max, that, uh, quote, I think this is the most sophisticated equipment that has ever been on the island, end quote. I mean, this really is, again, another remarkable, stark reminder of just how far this whole thing has come since this first season. And not just the show, but especially the treasure hunt itself, right? I know I've said this a lot over the length of this season one rewatch, but if you ever question whether the show has been good for the treasure hunt, you needn't look any farther than this scene right here. What we're essentially seeing here is what the Oak Island treasure hunt was like before the History Channel got involved financially, and probably pretty much what it would still look like today if not for the show. The history of the hunt uh, is filled with digging and backbreaking work, usually done by just a handful of what we would call uh, devoted followers or believers. Um, 
But since the time that when this Deep Max was considered the most sophisticated piece of equipment ever brought on the island, we have seen teams of scientists and contractors and archaeologists doing things like seismic surveys, uh, flying over with ground-penetrating radar, and now even something that has to do with cosmic rays. And that's just to name a few. Okay, let's go back to the episode. The team starts getting a hit right at this Mercy Point area uh, where the other metal detecting guy, Steve Zazulik, was getting hits on his handheld detector in the previous episode. Rick, looking at this data box, later calls this hit, quote, full scale, almost a sheet and a half. Now, I'm not really sure I know what he means by that. A sheet and a half, is he referring to these sheet planks that he has down on the ground? I mean, I assume he's talking about the size of what the hit he's getting, the length of the potential hit, you know. But that phrase just doesn't register with me at all. I, don't, I just don't know what he's trying to say. Um, if you do, please email me, Dave uh, DiganOKylan at gmail.com. But be that as it may, the metal detecting guys need to download this data and uh, analyze it a bit more. So after the commercial break, we get a war room scene where we see exactly that. Now, Steve Zizulik has the data and he presents it in a color graphic where the different colors represent different possible metals and substances, those kind of things. Now, according to the information we're seeing, it is easy to conclude that the Deep Max has possibly found some really large deposit of non-ferrous metals. I mean, they're making it look like uh, some big truck pulled up and, <laughs> you know, uh, dumped a, a, a big load full of gold nuggets right here in the muck, you know. But it's important to note there's very little, if any, discussion about actual scale or size here from these experts. We're not really getting that. Um, so I think some of this is a bit of an editing trick, maybe. Now, having said that, everyone around the table is super excited, so much so that Dave Blankenship says, there's my boat, a <laughs> hundred footer, he says, right? I mean, Dave thinks he's actually getting a yacht out of this. Uh, so maybe this is supposedly a really big area. Kind of made me feel bad for Dave that never actually got that yacht. Marty then wraps up this meeting by saying he wants to hire what he calls a muck diver. Boy, that doesn't sound like a fun job, if I'm honest. Um, as the team leaves the meeting to go find said muck diver, the narration then sets up nicely for what is about to happen. He talks about how Oak Island landowner Anthony Graves back in the 19th century was rumored to have paid for things with old Spanish gold. This is obviously foreshadowing um, for what we're about to see in just a few minutes, but I thought I would expand just a little bit on this Anthony Graves thing. I mean, the important thing here is the Spanish part, but uh, if you have any questions about the Anthony Graves thing, I just wanted to kind of expand for it a little bit by reading a passage from Darcy O'Connor's book, The Secret Treasure of Oak Island. He writes, One long-standing legend concerns Anthony Graves, who purchased much of the island after John Smith's death in 1857. Graves built his house at Jujury's Cove and lived there until he died in 1888. Graves is rumored to have occasionally purchased supplies on the mainland with Spanish coins of gold or silver. In 1930, a silver Spanish coin dated 1785 was found near the foundation of his home. Another coin, a Spanish Maravedi, said to be dated 1598, was supposedly found in 1965 near Jujury's Cove, though the authenticity is suspect coin's authenticity. The Graves story would seem to be nothing more than gossip since his own family wasn't aware of it. Graves' granddaughter, Florence Eisenhower, told Mel Chapel in 1955 that she hadn't heard of any discovery of treasure by her grandfather. 
But she did say that her aunt, Sophia Sellers, Graves' eldest daughter, quote, believed that if any treasure were buried on Oak Island, it was carried away because she remembered a vessel coming into the cove one evening and it disappeared or departed before morning and there were marks in the sand on the shore like have like a barrel having been rolled out. So you see, that rumor is a good one and uh, has been around for quite some time. And I hope that helps frame this all kind of better for you. I think the part about Anthony Graves is uh, paying for things with uh, Spanish gold is probably not really true. Uh, but there are a lot of tentacles to some of these rumors. Um, you have to keep in mind that when talking about Oak Island, that the treasure hunt has really been a very fertile ground for such legends since the very first shovel went into the ground back in 1795. Now, having said all that, as we continue watching, we realize the point of the uh, we realizing the point of what the narrator was telling the story about. Like I mentioned before, it's not about Anthony Graves, but it's instead to bring up the subject of Spanish treasure, which we are about to hear a lot about. As we come back from the commercial break, we see the arrival of diver Tony Sampson to Oak Island. Tony will be the go-to diver for the Laginas for this entirety of the show's run. He's doing it today, right? He has an impressive resume as a diver, working for the military and for law enforcement. He also owns a boat tour company in the area called Salty Dog Tours, which does like small boat trips around Oak Island for tourists coming to see the island. Definitely something I would not miss if I were ever up that way. Steve Zizulik takes Tony out to the spot where he and the Deep Max were getting hits on the metal detectors recently, and Steve pulls out his detector again before Tony actually jumps in, and soon he pulls a coin out of the muck. Uh, what follows is one of the biggest moments in the history of the Curse of Oak Island show, one that is referenced even today. We see uh, clips of this in all sorts of places, beyond Oak Island, everything. And I love this scene with all the guys surrounding this coin that Steve has brought up, glasses down at their noses, trying to see what the heck this coin actually is. And as we'll soon come to learn, this would be the first truly big find of Rick and Marty's treasure hunt. Just a little side note here, and this is completely unrelated to the coin, but it just sticks in my craw, so I have to mention it. Um, we hear the narration refer to Freemasons as the quote-unquote successors of the Knights Templar. I just want to remind you all, that is not true. Can we point to some similarities between the two groups? Yes, we certainly can. But there is not they're not related really in any other way. I've spoken to a, several Templar experts on this and they all agree that that kind of description of the Freemasons being successors is either a, a real exaggeration or just kind of plain untrue. Anyway, back to the coin. Imagine their relation, right? Their main partner Dave Blankenship or Dan Blankenship, the man who for all intents and purposes allowed Rick and Marty on the island, believes wholeheartedly in a theory that suggests the Oak Island treasure is of Spanish origin. And here they are, pulling a Spanish coin out of the swamp. Marty says, quote, The other day I had a serious discussion with Rick about throwing in the towel. End quote. And then they go find this. If there really is any authenticity to the idea that Marty is not convinced yet at, the, at this point to go on with funding the search, then man, what a role this little coin has played in the history of the Oak Island treasure hunt. If not for this coin, perhaps the incredible amount of money and resources the show has poured into this dig, the likes of which Oak Island has never seen before, might never have happened. Think about that for a moment. After the guys are done looking at the coin and high-fiving and hugging each other, they all turn to Tony Sampson and start yelling at him to get suited up and get diving, which he promptly does. Now, just look at this. 
Look at what Tony is doing here. He can't look for anything, really, not with his eyes, because there's absolutely no way to see anything down there that in this black muck that he's swimming around in. All he can really do is feel around and I suppose I guess, I suppose, listen for metal detecting hits and then try to fish around with his hands for what might be causing these hits. But the whole process is, if nothing else, a very inexact science, to say the least. It also just It's also just kind of gross to look at him doing it. Rick has a great line here. Rick Lagine has a great line here when he says he wishes he could put duct tape over his mouth and get down into the muck with Tony. Now, Rick, I'm not entirely sure how the duct tape's going to help, Uh, But I do love the sentiment. Uh, Soon, both Rick and Marty jump chest deep into the mud to help move some vegetation and those kinds of things out of Tony's way so he can look around a little more easily. Soon, Tony pulls up a flat rock, which if there are more such rocks down there, might serve to explain why Rick and Steve Zizulik thought that there was a flat surface under them when they first started getting these hits on the metal detector uh, back in the last episode there. I mean, I think the inference was they were standing on the top of a vault or something, right? And as we know now, I guess we can think this could very well be the part of the stone road here that the team has been excavating over the past couple of seasons, but has yet to discover at this point. The guys just don't know this stuff yet. After all this difficult and uncomfortable work, Tony essentially has no luck. He finds nothing of interest, even though... He is apparently getting metal detecting hits as he goes along. And there is a lot of talk about the nature of these hits. Steve calls them ghost targets. And Tony explains that he could get a hit only to have it vanish from under him. Now, the narrator tries to blame it all on the paranormal, the curse. But it does seem there are a few more logical explanations. I mean, Tony points out how his wedding ring might have been interfering in some of the, um, you know, uh, on some of his work. But that kind of only explains his detecting, right, as he's down there. But what about the rest of it, right? What about the non-ferrous metals found on the Deep Max from earlier in the show that was going to give Dave Blankenship his 100-foot yacht? Where is all that? Well, as we explained already, the work we see Tony doing here is very, very difficult, and I could certainly see how he would not be able to find anything in all that dirt and muck. But the thing that remains weird and unexplained is even nearly a decade later, we still haven't found what this deep max was apparently detecting. So what is the explanation? I mean, I'm really asking that question. I don't know. It's weird to say the least. And Marty's has a great line. I'm so tired of that's weird. And I can only imagine if he were tired of that's weird back then, he must be plain exhausted of it by now. I mean, I'll have more on this later in the podcast, but I think what we can say here is that we don't really know how weird this really is. We don't get any possible explanation beyond Tony's ring and, of course, the paranormal. Um, you know, I know of, of an explanation for what is causing these ghost hits. Sometimes, though, I mean, I got to say this, even way back in season one, I wish they would offer up an explanation or maybe even more than one explanation that kind of falls somewhere in between those two things, right? Between the obvious and the totally fantastic. In the next scene, we see the team, Rick and Marty, still filthy, heading straight to Dan Blankenship's house to show him this coin. This is a really beautiful scene. And I know it's scenes like this from early on in the show's run that got my wife addicted to the show, right? Now, she's since kicked that habit and hardly spends 10 minutes watching it these days. But the genuine elation on their faces, especially Dan's, 
was the kind of thing that really got her hooked. And I think a lot of us too. Dan just looks so overjoyed. And the guys look overjoyed for him. He says the find, quote, confirms my suspicion the Spanish did it, presumably near the time of 1500 to 1550. Now, just to expand that a bit, Dan is quoted in Darcy O'Connor's aforementioned book saying on the subject that he believes the work was done in the 1500s or even, quote, any time during the 1600s. And then he has this great line where he says, there was one great source of wealth during that period, the Spanish and the people who took it from, who people they took it from. That's Dan Blankenship's words. Uh, Later in the scene, Dan says, quote, the first thing, this is the first thing I've held in my hand since I've been here almost 48 years. So you could see why after holding this coin in his hand that Dan would be absolutely beaming with joy. He spent almost a cent- half a century looking for exactly this kind of find. Again, I just love and miss these scenes with Dan. I get that warm, nostalgic feeling watching Rick talking at the top of his lungs to Dan so he can hear him, just like I used to do for my brilliant grandparents who couldn't hear too well and who I miss every day. I really, really miss Dan. And I miss Dave, too. I know I keep saying that, but it always bears repeating in my mind. The episode concludes with a war room meeting and the first and these first few seasons, these war room meetings that end the seasons were usually focused on the idea that perhaps Marty and to some extent Craig Tester as well might not want to continue their funding of this search. They still talk like this at the at the end of seasons these days as well to some extent, but for obvious reasons, it is less about Marty and his money than it used to be and more about whether or not there's evidence to continue doing all this, right? Marty says things um, like, I'm having trouble believing it, I think is the quote he's saying. And he's talking about the finding of the coin. He's having trouble believing they actually found this. And this is a little insight into something we do not get to see on this show. And it has to do with Rick and Marty's very real suspicion about the legitimacy of this coin right from the get-go. Now, I've told this story before, but I think there is no better time to repeat it than now, since this is the moment that we're rewatching here. Basically, what happened is the Laginas openly questioned the producers about whether or not the showrunners had actually planted the coin in the swamp, planted it for them to find for dramatic purposes. So look back at that quote. I'm having trouble believing it. He really was. Randall Sullivan tells this story best in his book, The Curse of Oak Island. I'll read you just a little passage from that. He writes, it was a rousing conclusion to the first season of the show, made better by the History Channel's decision to order a second series of episodes. Only when I arrived on Oak Island during the shooting of season four did I learn that both of the Lagina brothers were nagged by the suspicion that the Maravidi had been planted at the mercy point by the producers of The Curse of Oak Island. It was the only subject on which I heard both brothers speak with one voice. Without me bringing it up, Rick and Marty had each, in separate conversations, told me that they'd intensely questioned Kevin Burns and the other producers about their suspicions. Quote, it just seemed a little too convenient, Marty said. The producers had adamantly denied it, and the Laginas had accepted those denials, but they had also told Burns that if they ever found out the coin had been planted, the show would end immediately. I told them that what I knew of the producers had convinced me they would never go along with such deception, and both brothers appeared happy to hear it. Now, I'm not sure whether this war room scene was filmed before or after that incident occurred between the Laginas and the producers. But again, that line from Marty, I'm having trouble believing it, reminds us of their very real suspicions around this 
coin and the finding of this coin. But that being said, Charles Barkhouse is in the war room with some research he has collected on the coin, which he identifies as a Spanish Maravedie, or also more widely as a piece of eight, is how it's really known, right? Uh, which just means the coin was worth eight Spanish reals. It's a copper coin, which is uh, worth noting because over the years, I think these coins were often made of silver as well, but not always. And Charles thinks that this particular one is from the 1600s, although he admits the date is uh, too obscure due to corrosion to know for sure. What follows is the most predictable vote you'll ever see. He didn't need a polling expert to predict the outcome of this one. Will the dig go forward? Of course it will. But listen, that's easy for me to snicker at in hindsight, right? At this point, Craig and Marty are really essentially funding all of this. And uh, this first season was something of a test season for the History Channel, as evidenced by the short five-episode run. So while I'm sure they are play-acting a bit here, it is fair to say that at this point it really wasn't just simply a fait accompli that this search and the and this show would go on for another 10 years. That just wasn't the case at this point. Um, Alex Lagino offers a great response to the question of whether they should continue, which is something to the effect of, I still have a lot of questions I think I need answers to. Um, and the only way to do that is to keep searching, is what is the point is he's trying to make. At this point, Alex is certainly on Marty's more skeptical side. So he isn't saying that he's sure the treasure is down there. They just need to keep it digging, but uh, you know, in order to find it. But instead, what he's saying is actually simply um, just he just isn't ready yet to pull the plug on this. He hasn't been convinced either way. So why stop now? And that's a great measured approach. And Marty isn't wrong either when he says that it makes no sense to stop searching right after you pull a pirate coin out of a swamp. <laughs> I mean, it is a cool find, right? One of the most important finds in the entire 225-year history of the dig. But as we will come to learn over the following nine years, it is the only such coin they will ever find, meaning it was not part of some larger treasure like they were hoping it might be back in this season one. Now, after the meeting ends, Marty says something I took note of. Rick points out that uh, Marty is invested now, and he quips that how Marty might be obsessed um, Marty laughs and says, I hope I'm not obsessed, which made me want to ask Marty that now, right? Do you feel over the last nine years that you have become obsessed? I'd ask the same question of Alex and Craig. These are the couple of people who at this point are considered sort of skeptical in all of this. In these episodes, they kind of seem very much on the fence. And I wonder if I could ask them now what they would say, if we could give them some truth serum. Are they more convinced now than they were 10 seasons ago that there is a treasure somewhere on Oak Island? It's an interesting question to ponder, and, and one that I'm sure none of them would be willing to answer publicly while the show is still airing, right? I and mean, we can all understand that. As the episode ends, the brothers go out to the beach and walk out into Mahome Bay, I suppose, to clean themselves up a bit since they are still covered in this disgusting swamp muck, which much must smell wonderful. I can't imagine what Dan Blankenship's kitchen smelled like with these guys coming in. Marty tells Rick, quote, if you didn't come up with that coin, I was going to ask you to call it quits. And like I said, I think there is a genuine quality to all this talk about quitting. While I'm sure the guys would have continued with the show, if asked, right, if the showrunner said, okay, that's enough, we'll do this again, are you willing to come back? Yeah, I'm sure they would. But I know it was this coin that really did wonders for the show, for the show's viewership, for the show's sort of um, excitement levels and the commitment that everybody had involved. Um, this coin really did 
wonders for the show to say it again. It all but guaranteed a second season, which is a which was a big success. And now we have, like I've been saying, the best funded and most public search in the history of uh, the centuries old history of the Oak Island mystery. And let's face it, if not for finding this coin, right, just to belabor this point, this podcast would never have come about. <laughs> not that I'm comparing this podcast with those other things. Now, before we wrap up season one here in our little rewatch, I just want to make a couple of observations. For one, do we think that the finding of this coin is evidence against Petter Amundsen's theory of the mercy point? I mean, we went into this area to search for something left there by Francis Bacon, something like the Ark of the Covenant, right? And instead found a copper Spanish coin that leads us back to a very, very different origin. Um, You know, a very different origin theory. And I think also just to kind of back up and put it in here again, I think that also kind of lends to the fact that this probably was not planted because if the showrunners were trying to plant something at the mercy point to make the entire season's talk with Peter Amundsen and the mercy point and Shakespeare and all that stuff to be, you know, the the angle they're going to go at for a season two, they wouldn't have put in a copper Spanish coin because that doesn't you know, it doesn't relate to that find, at least not as I can figure. And also, uh, like I mentioned earlier, there's been no real follow-up on this coin. Nothing else has been found that sort of supports it, right? No more pirate coins were found at the Mercy Point, yielded no other evidence besides this. So is this sort of a evidence against the theory that was presented to us, the Petter Amundsen theory that Francis Bacon's followers... Uh, wrote Shakespeare's first folio and all of his plays and Shakespeare was just a patsy and then they put in clues to how to find the treasure in Oak Island. I mean, uh, you know, this this very convoluted theory is this Spanish coin. What they found there is that kind of evidence against this theory. Um, the area has been searched extensively since this time. No Ark of the Covenant, no Shakespeare's manuscripts, just a possible stone road and some blue clay. So can we put an X through this theory And I would also say this, does it put into question other conclusions Amundsen makes from the same sources? So if his sources, if his interpretation of the first folio brings him to the idea that the uh, this treasure that Francis Bacon had is buried here on Oak Island, but yet no treasure is found. Well, then can we then question The other things that he claims to have discovered, to put in quotes, in the first folio, because this one certainly seems to have been incorrect. Am I making sense with all that? I think it's a really good question. Um, It might be (laughs) the reason why Peter Amundsen and his theories have not really continued over the years to be a part of the Oak Island treasure hunt, nor of the curse of Oak Island. Guys, that's going to do it for this episode of the Digging Oak Island podcast. I hope you enjoyed our season one rewatch. We are obviously very close to the beginning of the next season. I'm going to try to get in another history podcast um, between now and then about uh, the timeline of the dig, and uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. I'm working on research for that now. Hopefully, we'll get it done before the start of the season. Um, those those kind of uh, podcasts take a long time, and again, 
this is uh, not what I do for a living, so it's difficult to uh, to devote uh, you know hours of work into this. But I th- I think I'll get this one done. I'm kind of moving forward with it now. Um, Shameless plug time. Don't forget every Wednesday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. I'm DJing on WDVR-FM. I host a show called the Bourbon Street Bistro from 2 to 4 p.m. playing the music of New Orleans. And then from 4 to 5 p.m. hosting a show called Island Vibes where I play music with a kind of a tropical feel to it, nice summer feel to it. You can listen to all of those by going to WDVRFM.org. If you're in uh, western New Jersey or eastern Pennsylvania, you can listen on 89.7 or 90.5 FM. Or you can simply, apparently, tell Alexa to turn on WDVR. I have no idea how that works, but that's apparently how how you can do that. And don't forget, um, I'd love you to come and be part of the show, be part of the Patreon page. Um, We're going to do a complete show um, live discussion during the airing of the show, which I take part in and many of our faithful listeners do as well. It's always fun. It's always funny uh, to follow along that during the show. You got to become a patron. If you think the show's worth $5 a month to you, then head over to patreon.com slash digging Oak Island to learn more on how you can become a patron yourself. And again, if you'd like to help out the podcast in another way, you can make a one-time donation on Venmo, on Venmo to my account. That's Dave McBride Music. Uh, I am a musician by trade, and I use that for you know virtual tips and things like that. But you can make a donation to the show on there. It all goes to the same place, the same accounts. Uh, and also, another way you can help us out by not and uh, not financially is by just leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your shows. It's a huge help. Um, and I really do appreciate anyone who's done that already. Um, we could use a few more. I mean, I think we can use some new ones, certainly before the season starts. So, so if you haven't left a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, I know Spotify does them as well. Just go ahead and do that. It's, uh, it's really appreciated. Thank you guys for taking the time to do that, and especially for the kind words you've left there. Uh, also... Just a reminder, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. We are at Diggin' Oak Island. And if you have any questions or comments that you want to send directly to me, you could do so via email at diggin'oakisland at gmail.com. And just keep in mind, if you do send me an email or even a direct message on social media, I may just answer it here on the podcast. So keep listening. And also, if you don't want your message read aloud, just please do me a favor, make a note of that, and I, uh, I'll try my best to answer you directly. Well, with that, it's crown time, kids. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Digging Oak Island.